Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. I have. A, I want to share a, a message with you today on a topic that I've really not touched on. I think in nine or ten years, it's been a long time. If you haven't heard, uh, there is a small piece of, of good news in the midst of, or, or depending upon your your political position, I'm not going to comment one way or another. But the government's about to give a lot of people some money. Okay, you heard about this, right? They're about to make uh, to distribute more stimulus money, uh, and. It was interesting because in, in our last new members class, uh, which was last, last week, uh, one of the participants asked if we provided any classes on managing money. And it's interesting hearing both of these things kind of uh, coming together at the same time. The Bible talks more about money than almost any other topic. It talks more about money than it does heaven or hell. Uh, it's, it's a very significant topic in Scripture, and it's a topic that I used to to teach often at conferences, even well before I was a rabbi. So today we're going we're gonna to look at this topic again. It's been forever since I've talked about this. Uh, biblical financial principles here. Uh, and why this is some practical stuff that I want to give you that I think may very much help you in your life. Now, some of you are on top of the biblical financial principles, and if so, great, you're going to be encouraged by a whole bunch of confirmations here today. And others of you may have a little work to do, uh, and there may be some in between. Now, as many of you know, my background, of course, is business before ministry with the MBA from Emory University, Emory University at the Gazueta Business School, and I've had a good bit, a bit of training when it comes to finance, I mean, goodness knows, we took a lot, a lot of coursework on this stuff. Uh, that said, what I'm going to be sharing with you today are biblical principles. Biblical principles. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. I shouldn't be considered professional financial investment advice. Consult a financial professional for that, okay? That's my disclaimer, whatever. Uh, but, in, but in any case... This is a very important topic. The the Bible speaks a great deal about money, and I want for you to prosper in every area of your life and in every way. And and, and here it is right now in this season when many of you are going to be receiving an unexpected check from the government. I want for you to be aware of of the biblical principles involved. Pun intended. Uh, Thank you. It's a little uh, finance joke there. Okay, because many biblical financial principles, quite honestly, were not taught to me at Emory. Uh, Listen, I I got, you know, it's a top 20 business school. I got some of the best finance education that the world has to offer. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not as good as the education in this book. This book has better financial advice than anything I learned at Emory. Uh, and the principles that I learned from this book sometimes uh, differed than what I was taught even at Emory. Uh, and uh, although I learned wonderful things there, and I have great things to say about that program, I'm going to be going through a lot of scripture today, okay? So get ready. I'm going to start in 1 Timothy 6 if you want to start turning. But I've got a lot of scripture for you today. And so if you uh, get behind or something, I'm going to kind of go through it quick. Got a lot of meaty scripture here today then you can always just hit the pause button and rewind if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> or if you're here, you can just, uh, right, that's right, that's what Ariel does, right, yes, it's, it's effective. Or uh, if you're actually, if you're here with us today, then you can go back home and hit rewind if you want to write down any of the scriptures. Very, very, very powerful. Okay, here we go, get ready. Biblical financial principles. This is a very practical message that I think is going to help you in your daily life. Some of these things you may have down Others of these things you may not have considered exactly in the way 
that they should be. Okay, let's start with this one. We know that first, of course, money is the root of all evil, right? Money is the root of all evil, right? Wrong! That's right, very good. Ines and Richard, both shaking their heads no at the same time and in the exact same form and fashion. Uh, they, they are absolutely right. Uh, money is not the root of all evil, uh, contrary to popular belief and saying. Where does that come from and where is that uh, um, uh, distorted from? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some longing for it have gone astray from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Okay, here's the first principle. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. You see, it's not the money itself. It's not the, there's nothing at all inherently evil about money. People, people miss that. That's not what the scriptures teach us. There's nothing inherently wrong with and about money. In fact, it, it can be used for great good. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. My friends, what is the, the root of all kinds of evil? It's the love of money. It is the love of money. That's the issue. And when I say the love of money, it's not like people, you know, it's not like people go around just hugging their wallet. Oh, I love you. Oh, my little wallet. Oh, my baby. Oh, 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 oh gosh. No, no. It's not that. They don't, they don't hug, you know, they don't name all their children Benjamin, you know. <laughs> bad. Okay. Um, but they've got to have it. You know, the love of money. People, people just got to have it. People got to have it, right? They got to have that money. They got to have that greenback. It's a love. And oftentimes, friends, it's not even a love. It's a lust. A lot of people, you all know this. Flip on the TV for 10 minutes, you're going to see it. You're going to see people catering to a lust for, for, for stuff and, 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 and riches. Well, let's look at this whole passage here. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, backing up to verse 6. And it says this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it. Rabbi E used to say that a lot. But having food and clothing, with these things we shall be content. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some longing for it have gone astray from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." What does the word say? Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's great gain, my friends. If, if we're content in the Lord with, with godliness, that is great gain. But if you want to get rich, scriptures tell us, you can fall into a temptation and a trap. Your desires, scriptures tell us, lead to ruin and destruction. Friends, you see this happen. You see this happen. You see some people. You probably know some people. Please, God, you not are these people, <laughs> right? But you know people like this who, who their lust and love for money has led to destruction. It's led to them changing who they are. It's led to them going down a path that they should not go. It's so easy to fall into temptation when seeking to be rich. And friends, in the words of Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. <laughs> It's a, it's a bottomless pit, my friends. It really is. It's a bottomless pit. This, this seeking after money like that. It's a bottomless pit. Hear me, hear me on this. I, I'm saying this very intentionally. If you want to get ahead of me, Ecclesiastes 5. It's a bottomless pit to be constantly seeking after the almighty dollar, which is not almighty. There's only one almighty. It's a bottomless pit. How do I know that? Thank you for asking. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 9. Listen to this. It's so true. Verse 9. A lover of money never has enough money. 
And a lover of wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is futile. When goods increase, so do those who consume them. So what advantage are they to the owner except that he sees it with his eyes? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the excess of the rich permits him no sleep. There's a grievous wrong that I've seen under the sun. Wealth hoarded by its owner to his own hurt. Wow, that's deep. And that was written by the the richest man in the world, one of the richest people ever to live in the history of the world. And and he's saying, it ain't ain't, riches ain't where it's at, folks. He's saying this at the end of his life. He's saying riches ain't where it's at. Here's the principle, my friend, biblical financial principle. If you love money, you'll never have enough. Straight up. (sighs) Years ago, this was in person. Years ago, back when I was in the corporate world, I went to this, uh, um, I don't know, I don't even know what it was. It was some kind of a meeting And speaking at this meeting was a billionaire. Okay, a billionaire was speaking. He was giving his comments. I I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember where I was sitting and and looking up at this billionaire at the the stage speaking in this meeting. And, uh, And so he was talking about things and giving his input on things. And the subject of Bill Gates came up. And in, in in what he was talking about, and the subject of Bill Gates came up. And just on the fly, the, the, the billionaire glibly just kind of said, Bill Gates, <laughs> boy, I wish I had his money. And, and it was said just as a quick aside. Andy, but it struck me. It struck me. I thought to myself, wow, it's, it's, it's unbelievable that that could come out of his mouth. I sat back incredulously. This guy was a billionaire who was talking. This guy was a billionaire. And the subject, Bill Gates came up and and, and he just threw in, boy, Bill Gates, boy, I wish I had his money. This was a billionaire. Let me tell you what I heard. It struck me. It was, I, I thought, that's unbelievable that that could even, even possibly be on his lips. That's Ecclesiastes 5. Pure and simple, unadulterated Ecclesiastes 5. A lover of money never has enough money. He was a billionaire who says, I wish I had his money. I mean, come on. Absolutely remarkable. There's a principle here, my friends, that we need to grab a hold of. Ecclesiastes 5 tells us that the abundance of a rich man prevents him no sleep, meaning that there accompanies with wealth a great deal of stress. People who are wealthy, people, sometimes people who are not rich think, if I only had money, if I only had money, life would be easy. If I only had money, if I only had money, life, I'd be on the easy train and, and I could just sit back and relax and boy, life would be so much better and easier. But actually, it's not what Scripture says. Nope, great deal of stress. Great deal of stress, great deal of strain. People think that wealth brings happiness. Wealth doesn't bring happiness. Uh, No country is as rich as the United States. We know that. No country is as rich as the the United States. Out of 184 countries uh, uh, evaluated, you'd think America would be the happiest. Had the 30, but America has the 34th highest suicide rate. 34th highest in the world out of about 200 countries. The richest country in the world by probably pretty good margin over 99% of the world. And yet the 34th highest suicide rate, and, and by the way, the highest among all Western countries, America suicide rate, highest among all Western countries. The, the, the wealthiest country in the world. Wealth does not bring happiness, friends. A biblical financial principle is not to compulsively chase after every last nickel or shekel. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I, I, I've been in ministry many years now, and I've been with many people on their deathbed. I can't even count how many people I have sat with literally right soon before they were going to be passing on into the next world. Many, many people. And I've never yet once had a person say to me, Rabbi, I wish, I wish that I had only worked more hours and made more money. 
No one ever has said that to me. In all the years I've been, I've been with people and sitting with people on their deathbeds, I've never had somebody say, oh, if I'd only made more money, Rabbi. No one ever said that. Not one person. And, and by the way, I've heard plenty of other regrets. It's not like they don't have regrets at that moment. Like, no, often, a lot of times people will have regrets. And I hear, and I trust me, I hear them. And I, I try to console them and you know, give them love and the perspective of the you know, uh, Olam Haba, the, you know, the world to come. But still, that, that's one regret that I've never heard. It's interesting, isn't it? Considering how much we strive for it and society strives for it, wealth in today's world. Of course, that having been said, people who are very poor also have high suicide rates. Also. So neither can you be oblivious and not care about money at all. I hear some people who, who, who are like, ah, I don't even care anything about money. Well, you got a job or anything? Oh, I'm not, money's not important to me. Oh, yeah, well, if you pay no attention to it, the man is going to come and repossess your car. <laughs> okay, that's not necessarily, the answer is not to be com completely ignore money. That's not the answer too, my friends. No, you have to plan and prepare for your future financially. Why? You have to prepare so that it will not inhibit your ministry due to extraordinary financial stress. Some people are so financially strained that it inhibits and damages their ministry and their testimony and that which God has called them to do. Maybe the Lord has called them to help out in this or that, but they can't. Why? Because they've got to work the second job because they didn't handle their finances well. You see, you, you, you can't not pay attention to it. You have to pay attention to it. And when you get into financial stress, my friends, it is the source of many marital problems. When I do premarital counseling, we spend a whole a lot of time on that because it's one of the four big areas that marriages tend to struggle in is finances. Being on the same page financially and if there's financial, if you have a, you know, a spender, sometimes, sometimes it'll be a, a, a potential husband and wife there, they're engaged and, and we'll talk about it and it'll become evidently clear to me that one of them is the spender. It might be the guy or the girl, you don't know. But one of them is a spender, well, how much do you think that, you know, how much would you want to consult each other with when it comes time to spend? Oh, you know, whatever. I, I trust her. Oh, you trust her. Okay. Well, what that tells me is that you don't want a limit, sir. That's what that tells me. <laughs> oh, you trust her. Is that what you're saying? You know, I try to, I, I read into what people are saying, you know, and, and I'm listening very carefully. Okay. If you got a spender and then the other is not a spender, man, you got, you got some issues there. You got to deal with that. Finances, if you're not paying attention to finances, it can cause marital issues, my friends. You have to plan. You have to be a good steward. So my friends, the key is to have enough money to fulfill your needs without lusting after the riches. Luke chapter 6. Here's another biblical financial principle. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It's interesting. Michael read this very verse a little bit earlier. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, will be given into your lap. For whatever measure you measure out will be measured back to you. Here's the biblical financial principle. Give. Give. Now, am I talking about Bethel? Yes, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about having a generous spirit. Giving to others, towards your family, towards strangers, towards others. Especially in this pandemic. Listen, if, if you order out, man, be generous with, with, the, with the pizza driver. Be generous with the Uber Eats person. Be generous with your server at a restaurant. Be generous with people in general. Have a, a, an attitude of generosity, a spirit of giving. It is a biblical financial principle. Give and it will be given to you, the scriptures tell us. We need to have a giving attitude, yes, for our talents also, and our time, all of the above. 
Uh, no question. And by the way, mind your attitude when you give. Don't just, don't just give so that you can get. You know, some people have that, have that wrong also, uh, is, that they, is that they will give saying, well, I'm going to be getting, so I'm going to give. No, that's, not the, that's the wrong attitude. No, no, no. Give because it is a joy for you. Your attitude has to be in the right place. Your attitude's got to be right with this. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Here's another important biblical financial principle. Here it is. Ooh, it's a biggie too. Watch out. You're about to get, many of you, you're about to get your toes stepped on. If you're watching from home, kick up the lazy boy as you're watching right now. Get the feet off the ground. Otherwise, I'm going to step on him in just a minute. <laughs> okay, I warned you. Here is the next biblical financial principle. Avoid debt. Womp, 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 womp. <laughs> Avoid debt. Is this, Rabbi, is this a financial class or is this a spiritual class? Yes! Deuteronomy 15, verse 6. Bible talks a lot about all this stuff. Deuteronomy 15, 6 from the Torah. For Adonai, your God, will bless you as he promised you. So you will lend to many nations, but not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. Ooh, deep. Lend to nations, but don't borrow, God was telling Israel. It's the biblical financial principle of control or leverage. In the same verse, what does it say? It says, you will rule over nations, but none will rule over you. This is a principle that's involved if there is debt. You see this confirmed in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22. Let's read what it says in Proverbs 22, verse 7. It says something also very interesting. Here's the proverb. Get ready. It was written by Grandpa Shlomo. The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is a slave to the lender. Ooh, mama. Mm. The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is servant to the lender. Let me put it another way. Avoid debt like the plague. Avoid debt. Why? Because if you don't, you are giving someone else power over you. You become a servant of the lender. What, Rabbi? A servant? Yes. Think about it. When you're working your job, you're working in order to pay off your master. Oftentimes, the credit card company. <laughs> Deuteronomy says that the borrower is ruled over by others. Proverbs says that the borrower is a servant to the lender. Essentially, you become a servant of that camper, that car, that vacation. Hear me, beloved. Take control of your credit cards. Take control of them credit cards. Or put them, some people freeze them. Put them in the freezer. <laughs> you can't touch them. I saved the number on my computer. Don't do that. <laughs> the credit cards can be dangerous and can inhibit your walk as a believer. Friends, listen, I know, I, I told you, I've, I, I told you I'd step on some toes. I know a lot of you struggle with this. A lot of you are embarrassed about this. Don't, don't be embarrassed. It's not about shame. It's about today making decisions that are going to help you moving forward. I can't tell you how many people I've had in my office. Rabbi, we're struggling right now. What's the struggle? We've got some credit card debt. Oh, okay. Let's fess up. Let's hear it. What do you got credit card debt? We have this much credit card debt. Oh, okay. And this much. Oh, Okay. And this, oh, wow, how many cards you got, man? You know, and, and sometimes it's unbelievable. If you have a lot of credit card debt, uh, there oftentimes is associated with it a bit of shame. It's, listen, don't be shamed in not, into not doing anything about it. The way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. You got to start somewhere, okay? That, that's how you, how you do it. I just had one of our teenagers look at me strange. I didn't understand that, Rabbi. That's okay. <clears throat> Listen, let me tell you, when it comes to 
what you're purchasing, very simply, if you can't afford it with what you have in the bank, then don't buy it. New car, fancy clothes, new iPhone, games, vacations. It doesn't matter. I don't care about the 0% introductory rate. I don't care about what a great deal it is. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes my dad used to joke about that when he preached. He'd say, sometimes Dottie says, oh, he would say about my mom. He'd say, oh, Dottie said, oh, honey, man, I got such a great deal. You wouldn't believe how much I saved. And my dad would say, okay, hold on. If you saved a lot, that means the, the corresponding thing would be that you spent a lot, okay, right? Because you had to, in order to save, you had to spend something, right? You saved so much, it's all in your perspective, right? But, okay, but, but listen, if you don't have it in the bank, don't buy it. Live within your means. I don't care what the kind of a deal it is. That may mean shopping at the thrift store or cutting coupons. Is that humbling? Yes. Is that a bad thing? No! Man, I remember, man, I was an incredible coupon cutter early in our marriage. Dara remembers uh, watching myself and Tiffany. Man, we, we would cut, the, I'd cut those coupons. We had them organized in our little booklet of you know, categories and stuff. And we always went, they used to have double coupons more than they do now. I don't remember the day of double coupons, up to 50 cents usually. You can tell I know my, my coupons, okay? And go and look, okay, hold on, let's see, hold on. The 16 ounce, only on a 16 ounce, was that, that makes sense? So what's the price per ounce here? You know, maybe it's the Georgia Tech in me. I do the math some, right? Anyway, that's not a bad thing. Oh, but Rabbi, my children need this. Oh, please, it's not worth the debt. Generally, there are three types of acceptable personal debt. Three types generally. One, housing. Housing debt like a mortgage. Why? That's a type of investment. This is an investment that you're making towards future financial gain. Your net financial gain for the house, even with a mortgage, should be above what you're paying in, in debt. Okay? One, housing. Two, education. Education debt. Why? That's also an investment. You're, you're, you're borrowing some money so that you can make more money later. And, you, of course, you'll pay it off. Pay off your, your stuff, is, uh, all debt. And the third kind of acceptable personal debt generally is going to be medical. Life is important most of all. And so don't jalava when it comes to life and death stuff and, and, your, and your health. You know, if you, okay. Beloved, pay off those credit cards. Before you spend money on other things, pay for what you've already bought. 1 Samuel chapter 2, please, 1 Samuel 2. This is something important to remember. On the other hand, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7, let's hear what God does. God makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and also lifts up. See, my, my friends, please understand, there's nothing wrong with having money. On the other hand, there's nothing wrong with having money, even a lot of money, even significant money. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's the biblical financial principle. For the godly, wealth is a responsibility. Wealth is a responsibility. If you're rich, then God bless you then God has given you a special responsibility. Luke chapter eight talks about what? A rich woman funding God's work. A rich man we know took Yeshua into a tomb that he had built for himself in a beautiful garden. Only the very wealthy could have done that. And yet Joseph of Arimathea was, was, was remembered for forever. This very wealthy man, why? Because he, he, gave, he gave what he had to the Lord. And, and the Lord had him have that money for such a time as that, right? It's fine to be wealthy if you use it wisely. See, a lot of rich people don't. That's why it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than a camel through eye of a needle. You know that scripture. Okay, but, but yet it is possible if 
you use it wisely. As you prosper, always remember the source of your gifts. You got to remember the source of your gifts. And by the way, my friends, if you know somebody who is very wealthy, please don't be envious or resent them for it. Why them and not me? Why them, God, and not me? It's not fair. It's not right. Don't spite somebody else what the Lord is doing with them. That's between them and God. The don't, that, that's a cancerous attitude. No, the scripture says, Adonai makes poor and he makes rich. Lord, that's your decision. <laughs> I'm going to do what I need to do. See, so my friends, so we see in this uh, the balance that oftentimes is lost in the believing community because the prosperity gospel is wrong. And so is the poverty gospel. They're both wrong. There's nothing wrong with having nice things if you keep them in perspective. Can't be the focus. Genesis 41 in the Torah. Here's another biblical principle. Here it is. Save. Not only do you need to be saved, but you need to save. <laughs> save. We read the story, of course, in the Torah of Joseph when he eventually became, he would eventually become second in the land of Egypt only to Pharaoh himself. And Joseph advised Pharaoh and told him that there would be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. And so what did he advise Pharaoh to do? He advised Pharaoh to save 20% of all that was produced during the years of plenty so that there would be enough to ride out the famine. So he told him, save, 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 Pharaoh. Save, because bad times coming in the future. We don't know what tomorrow brings, my friends. I don't see any Josephs in here who, who, who know all the future. I know time, time's not always going to be, times have been tough. My gosh, who would have seen this last year coming? It happened a year ago. You know, 13, 14 months ago, who would have predicted how many people lost their job over the last year and had struggled financially? You never know what tomorrow's going to bring. That's why you got to save. Genesis 41, verse 53 says, Then the seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine started to come, just as Joseph had said. So there was famine in all the lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was bread. Hey, all right, Joe, good job. Say it so, Joe. Yeah. See, friends, we must save money. We must save money. Don't spend all that you make. When you have a few extra shekels, don't let them burn a hole in your pocket. You're about to get some money from the government. Hello, hello. You're about to get a check from the government. Most of you about to get a check from the government. Don't go on a shopping network spree. Please, beloved, please don't do this. Save if you have a 401k at your work that your employer matches, whatever level they match to, man, you need to be contributing toward that. To whatever level, at least at whatever level they match to. And, and beyond that, an IRA, traditional or, or a Roth IRA, you need to save some money for your future. You're about to get some shekels. You're about to get some shekels. What are you going to do? You need to save some. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3. Here's another biblical financial principle. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9. It says, Honor Adonai with your wealth and with the first of your entire harvest. The first. First fruits there. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with your substance. Honor the Lord. We've talked about giving to others for sure. But listen, we've got to honor the Lord with our first fruits. Yes, my friends, that's tithes, our tithes and offerings. You must be obedient there if you hope to be blessed by the Lord. Friends, that's, that's believing walk 101, trusting God 101. That's the easy stuff. But some of you may not be giving to God his tenth. Well, Rabbi, it's, it's a lot of money for me, and I, I don't have any extra. Extra? Extra? You've missed it, brother or sister. The tithe does not 
belong to you. It does not belong to you according to the word of God. It never did. If you're not living within your means, then how can you expect for God to bless you? God talks much in the old and the new covenants about tithing. It is a biblical financial principle. Why? Because God knows, friends, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the nature of people. And likewise, you don't have to to have great insight to know that for many people, money is their God. I mean, we Everybody knows that. You see that all over the place, especially in this country. Money is, is primary for people. Yeshua said you can't serve God and money. I see people make every excuse in the book as to why not to give. And it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes as to their character and what's really in their heart. This is one of the reasons why God talks so much about it. In scripture, I could give a whole sermon on that. And remember that an offering is on top of this. It's why they call it tithes and offerings. A tithe is the tenth, an offering is above the tithe. Tithes and offerings. Friends, the government's about to give most of you thousands of dollars. For some of you who've not been tithing, here's an opportunity to catch up some. Also, for others of you who are tithing, Here's that opportunity for you to make that special offering that you've been wanting to, and thanks to God, by making a special donation. I know that some of you have have talked to me, I don't know, maybe six, eight months ago, we were talking some about the Etz Chaim tree, our tree in the back there, which is above our tithes when people give out of a spirit of generosity and thanksgiving to the Lord. And they make an offering unto the Lord and they give thanks to God. I love, I'm inspired. I encourage all of you who are here today, as you leave, take a look at the tree and just read some of the things that are on it because they're encouraging to see how the Lord has blessed and in honor or in memory of somebody or uh, and just thanks to the Lord or uh, some, one of them says, happy birthday, son. You know I mean? It's like, you never know what it is. I give thanks to God. You read this, there's scriptures on them. There's so many beautiful things. Sometimes people have said, well, boy, Rabbi, I just, I don't have the funds. Oh, you're about to. You're about to. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord, the you who are watching online, ask the Lord. I'm talking about above our tithe here. I think there's less than 10 leaves left on this. That's Chaim. Ask the Lord, Lord, is this, is this my opportunity to, to, to give thanks to you and to bring in a special offering to you? Make sure you've worked it and you've already caught up on your, your tithes first. That's the basics so that you will be blessed. Have an attitude of gratitude. Why? Because remember, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheer. You can't give uh, grudgingly. Here's another one. <laughs> Here's another point. And it's so true, uh, beloved. You, you all know this. Why is it that people who make $30,000 a year struggle with not enough money. People who make $60,000 a year struggle with not enough money. People who make $100,000 a year struggle with not enough money. And $150,000 or more struggle with not enough money. How is it that people at every point of financial income struggle with not quite enough money? The reason is that most people Live above their means. Whenever it is they make more, whenever it is they make more, they get the bigger house, they get the bigger apartment, they get the nicer car, they get the fancier clothes, they get the cooler technology. Don't do this if you're not living within your means, brothers or sisters. Seek to live on 75% of your income. That should be your goal, to live on no more than 75% of your income. Then beyond that, 10% is tithes, 15% is savings. Make a budget, my friends. Make a budget, a budget. Some of you just had a convulsion. A budget. And some of you are being nudged by your spouse. I see you at home. I see you at home. Don't nudge your spouse. It's not nice. (laughs) Make a budget. I'll give you a couple of resources to look at online. Dave Ramsey, 
Crown Financial Ministries. Those are a couple of, of good resources that you can learn about how to get your financial house in order. Feel free to look them up online. Dave Ramsey or Crown Financial Ministries. I highly recommend them both. Here's the biblical financial principle. Live within your means. Make a lot of money or a little money. Psalm 37. Here's another key principle. Oh, friends, here's another key principle. If you do your part, God will do his part. Psalm 37, verse 25, the psalmist David says, I was young and now I am old, yet I've never seen the righteous one forsaken nor his children begging for bread. Friends, if you follow biblical financial principles, then God will take care of you. God will provide. If we are faithful, if we are faithful. I remember the first year of uh, Tiffany and I's marriage, and uh, we, you know, we were, you know, our parents were from the old school, uh, which was, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to help you as if you're a kid, you're on your own, okay, you need to kind of pick it up and learn for yourself, son. <laughs> okay. So, you know, they're there for emergencies, but they're not just going to kind of subsidize you through life. That's, that was kind of my, my parents' uh, uh, attitude. And so I remember early on in our marriage, you know, you're young in your marriage, and, and you don't have, and if, especially if, if there's not a, uh, you know, a, a sugar daddy, so to speak, who's like paying for everything, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle financially, right? And, uh, and I remember one time, I'll never forget this, Tiffany uh, remembers this, we, we talk about this sometimes. I remember one time, it's like I said, uh, Tiff, you know, she and I, she worked at a bank for a while and we, uh, and we shared the financial duties oftentimes, but I said, Tiff, come take a look. I just, I just paid the last bill from, you know, our utilities or whatever it was. And I said, come take a look at the checkbook. That's, uh, by the way, young people, checkbooks are these things that you can actually write on that you send and actually, if you say it's a piece of paper, you sign your name, you write the amount on it, and it actually, you turn it into a bank, they'll give you real money for it. It's really amazing. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and you had to log it, uh, you know, in, the, in this little paper thing. It's so antiquated. It's so funny. We did that back in the horse and buggy days. So. And uh, <laughs> in any case, I said, come, come look at the checkbook. And she was like, okay. And, I, and she said, uh, am I going to like it? I'm going to say, well, um, I guess it depends on how you look at it. And so we looked at the check. We had all, everything paid. Everything was paid completely. And I said, everything's paid. She said, oh, good. 47 cents. <laughs> 47 cents. <laughs> and she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and she was like, oh, boy, that was, that was close. <laughs> that was close. <laughs> Hey, but the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. You trust in Him. May not be exactly always the way you want it to be or think it will be, but the Lord will provide. Mariama knows that. Boy, the Lord has touched that lady as much as about anybody I know. The Lord has provided for her in just unbelievable ways. She loves the Lord, man. She she prays to God. She just gives herself to the Lord, and the Lord just mm, takes care of her. Oh. And so that, that relates to Philippians 4.19. I bet that's one of your favorite scriptures, Mariama. My God will fulfill every need of yours according to the riches of his glory in Messiah Yeshua. I know it is. I know it is. Notice the word of God says that God will fulfill every need. Every need, not every want. <laughs> we all have wants, you know, sure, I might want this. My dad used to say, you might want the, the Mercedes, but the need is a Chevrolet. Okay. <laughs> Whatever it is, you understand. Sometimes they'll give you your wants too, right? You know, trust in him. He hears the desires of your heart. But, but he says he'll supply all your needs if you're faithful to him. He'll supply all your needs, my friends. So with this, with this, government, this government stimulus check that many of you are about to receive, my exhortation to you, biblically, is to focus on three things. One, pay off debt. Two, give. And three, save. 
Do you hear me? You're about to get a big check. Pay off debt, give, save. This is really important. Finally, Matthew 6, we'll conclude with this. Matthew chapter 6. I told you I had a lot of scriptures for you. Matthew chapter 6, remember this, uh, finally. Mm, this, is, this is so true and is a real important biblical financial principle, beloved. Matthew 6, 19 says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust uh, destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Watch out. The principle, you must focus on treasures in heaven. You must focus on treasures in heaven. That's what's important, my friends. That's why we, our, our investment needs to be, in a spiritual sense also, invest in your children's spiritual life. It's much more long-lasting than, than band or sports, taking nothing away from that. Don't allow your self-worth to be determined by your bank account. No, 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 that's not about, your bank account does not determine your self-worth or your worth to God, for sure. Don't let it determine your self-worth. And don't let your, your treasure be here on this earth. Your treasure's gotta be in heaven, friends, where the eternal is. If your worth is determined by your bank account, it's gonna be a sad life for you. Because my friends, the stock market goes up, the stock market goes down. The word of God stands forever. The title of my message is Biblical Financial Principles. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if you're here today. <laughs> and if you have had some struggles financially, I hope that this message has ministered to you because for many of you, you're about to be given an opportunity with the, with the stimulus money that's coming in to, to make some positive changes in your life financially, one way or another, by paying off debt, by giving, by saving. I really want to encourage you. I know that some of you, some of you who are here and or some of you who are watching have a vast amount of debt, tens and tens of thousands of dollars of debt, credit card or, or otherwise. Man, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for discipline too. Man, I'm going to pray for self-control. Man, to get out of debt, you got to have the fruit of self-control. It's probably the most important fruit that you should be praying for if you're trying to get out of debt. And also, if you're here and maybe you've had a stingy spirit, <laughs> not a generous spirit, then I want to pray for you as well that the Lord just... It'll, it'll change you. I remember a number of years ago, the Lord was ministering to me to be more generous. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. God, I pray for those who have a lot of debt. If you're watching or listening, if you have a lot of debt, God, I want to pray for self-control. Yes, I pray for provision, but I pray for self-control, both. I pray for provision in order to wear down and knock down the debt. Yes, I pray for that provision. I pray for, pray for that job. Sometimes I'll pray for that, even that promotion or that other opportunity or that second job if necessary. Fair enough. But Lord, I also pray for self-control so that when funds come in, they're not just spent. They're not spent spurlessly. There is good stewardship and accountability they're self-controlled, Lord. Self-controlled. Lord, I pray for that. I pray for anybody who has a stingy spirit. I remember Jerry Rudkin talked about that some. The, the Lord, to give, give people spirit of generosity. Lord, I mean, let's face it. You're the ultimate giver that there ever has been. <laughs> you gave your life. Your son's life. I thank you, Lord, for this, God. I thank you, Lord, that... We have an opportunity, Lord, to put biblical financial principles into place, God, and thereby be blessed 
And I want to ask this, if you're here today or if you're watching online or listening on the podcast, you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, you've never committed your life to the Lord, but if you'd like to, oh man, it's, there's nothing better. It's the ultimate spiritual investment. All it takes is a simple prayer to say yes to God. If you would like to do that, if you're here, raise your hands. And if you're listening online, if that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. If, if that's you and you haven't said that prayer before, just repeat this prayer after me and the Lord will touch you. Abba, Father, I humbly come before you. And I ask Yeshua to come into my heart. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Thank you, God, for this. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. I thank you for this in Yeshua's name. If you said that prayer for the first time, please send us an email or let us know so that we can celebrate with you. Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for the service, the, the beauty of this special, this special Shabbat. Thank you for giving us instruction and for allowing us the opportunity to serve you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for these things. B'Shem Yeshua, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Nine, 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 nine.